We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When it's too tough for them, it's just right for us. Where would you rather be than right here, right now? The Rock Pile Report with Buffalo Bills season ticket holder, Drew Gear. The Bills make me wanna Anderson, play action, and a quick strike. Play is it a fumble? We'll see what the officials rule and who's got it first. No signal yet, and now they say Colts Ferguson slinging it up to center, and it is picked. Mike Mitchell. Mitchell still on his feet inside Buffalo territory. Anderson steps up in the pocket. Football is loose. We'll see what the ruling is here. Was it an incompletion or a fumble? It's Quincy Wilson. He is tackled short of the end zone. Everybody to another edition of the Rockpile Report Podcast. I am your host, Bill season ticket holder, Drew Gear. To my right is my producer, Chris Kruger. And that was Spiro Dinas. Oh, I love that guy from CBS Sports. Chris. Five turnovers. <laughs> what a weekend. Oh, what a weekend for football, ladies and gentlemen. Are we all still alive? Is everybody out there still with us? I mean, our uh, our downloads, they go up, they go down, the team loses, the team wins. I mean, I don't know what you people want from us, but what I've noticed is that the numbers uptick slightly on Tuesdays, which makes me think that somewhere between Monday afternoon and Tuesday night, you all kind of come to your senses and realize, okay, I'm done being angry at the Bills, maybe I'll listen to a podcast. <laughs> Woo! First and foremost, before we get started, congrats to the UB Bulls are in order. Chris, fill your hand. Cheers. A toast. The UB Bulls are the only football team in Buffalo to win this weekend or to be or to have any shot at a postseason. So I figured congratulations were in order. The Bulls defeated the reigning MAC Division champion Toledo Rockets 31-17 on Sunday on the road in a game that not only makes them 4-0 in divisional play, but moves them to 7-1, a clear three wins ahead of the next closest team. Chris, they've already nailed down at least they're bowl eligible, right? Cool. National bowl game eligible. On top of it, 
they have the best record going away in their division for the first time in a long time. This is the best team that the University of Buffalo has ever fielded, including the one that went to Ohio State and almost beat them back when they had Khalil Mack. All right, cool. Good for them. Now, <laughs> see, you don't I'm, care no. because you're not a college football guy. I didn't go to UB, so I can't get excited. I apologize. I, I was don't wa- have a college education. <laughs> I was watching Saturday's game at the gym, and I scared the shit out of at least seven people. Because, you know, time's winding down in the game. The Bulls are winning 24-17 in the fourth quarter. Two and a half, almost three minutes to go. They they convert a fourth down in enemy territory around the 30-yard line. And then on the next play, just pump out a 27-yard run to the end zone that seals the victory. I gave it a Ric Flair, woo, and just did a victory lap around the gym, which apparently startled people because they're not used to people, I don't know, cheering in the middle of the gym. I don't I don't know. Just, it, it fucked up everybody around me. Now, out of everything I saw online and on social media, one of my favorite parts about the co- of the coverage was watching the event being thrown over at Papa Grande's in Amherst by the guys from Trainwreck Sports. They're a group of local UB and Syracuse students. And they've got that youthful exuberance of people who haven't had their, you know, just a life of fandom and just infuriating sports teams grind them down like crayons, Chris. <laughs> I mean, they just have such an energy level. And so to see that the see the event and see all the Twitter videos, they just brought a lot of energy. And I highly encourage Anybody out there looking for another, I'm sure there's big UB games coming. Keep an eye out for these guys. They've got a podcast about it, uh, Bullet Points. You're going to want to go check that out. All their stuff's over at trainwrecksports.com. Now, they're going to be joining us on Friday. We have worked out with O'Neill's Stadium Inn. A lot of you may have been paying attention to the paper. The paper ran an article about a local bar that had, you know, after week two, Vontae Davis. Vontae Davis drew, Chris, how much criticism? A lot. (laughs) He drew a boatload of criticism for quitting on the team halfway through a football game. I mean, that's a first. There's been a lot of things that happened here in Buffalo. That's the first time that's happened. That's not not the first time. Like, it's never happened in sports (laughs) that somebody just quits at halftime. Retires, quits on the game in the middle of a game. So... To kind of you know, to kind of take that you know, fun kind of an idea, well, not a fun idea. I mean, the idea itself sucks ass. But to take that idea and run with it, O'Neill's created the Vontae Davis Chicken Wing Challenge. Wings so hot that the average human being will quit halfway through. They're made with ghost and habanero peppers. Chris, how many are you going to eat? Oh, I will have uh, none. I do not... I. In no way see you losing to this challenge based on the fact that a year ago you beat the Wise Guys uh, Carolina Reaper Wing Challenge. I'm about to put my title on the line, folks. We are going to be hosting a live event at O'Neill Stadium Inn on Friday night. 7.45 Eastern Standard Time is when we're going to start. It's going to be live on Periscope, but we encourage anybody in the area who feels like coming out and grabbing a beer with us. Come on, step down, say hi. I'll buy you a drink. It'll be fun. We are going to be joined by WGR 550's Nate Geary, 
Ty and the Maniac from Trainwreck Sports, and we're going to be talking about Buffalo Bills. We're going to be doing a live event. We're talking about the 2018 season, obviously Monday Night Football, and in a symbolic display of Buffalo Bills fandom. I'm going to take on that Bonte Davis Wing Challenge to prove that we know how to circle the wagons, Chris. These colors don't run, okay? This is, I, I, it's, half, it's the halfway point of the season. And I am not willing to quit on this like Vontae Davis quit on our Buffalo Bills. So you guys are going to get to watch me take on this excruciatingly hot wing challenge. It's going to be a lot of fun. If you're around, come check it out. And if you're not, tune in on Periscope. Twitter? I mean, Chris, are we going to put it on Facebook Live? Probably not. (laughs) Just Periscope. (laughs) Guys, do what you can to make it out. Have a beer with the boy Drew Gear. It's going to be a lot of fun. We're going to kick things off here tonight. Here it comes, this week's Bills News Update. Spoiler alert. This week's news will have nothing to do with Chad Kelly. Not even humoring the thought. I'll leave it to all of you to argue with each other on social media or Facebook or Twitter. I mean, I mean. Who wouldn't want to sign a player with more arrests than passing statistics, Chris? Who? Who wouldn't want that guy who just recently cut from his team with his coach saying, well, this is the best thing for everybody? Simply because of his last name? Because he's related to somebody who was good at his job? Chris, did anybody try to, I don't know, elect Teddy Roosevelt's brother-in-law as president? Teddy Roosevelt? Teddy Roosevelt. <laughs> I wouldn't want him as a president. Um, would you want, what is it, uh, Mormon? Would you want Mormon's cousin? You know, some fat guy? Maybe, uh, you know, he's built like I am. Hey, but he's related mm, to Brian Mormon. No. Why wouldn't he be a good option at punter? No, I don't want anybody with your body type near my football team. <laughs> Guys, I'm sorry, but I got to defer to Ricky Bobby on this idea. With all due respect, and remember, I'm saying with all due respect, that idea ain't worth a velvet painting of a whale and a dolphin getting it on. And that brings us to trade deadline talk. I understand that there's a lot of angst amongst the Bills fan base right now, especially when it comes to the players that we have on hand. I mean, we have underperformed at near historic levels on offense. And then you watch. It's almost like keeping up with the Joneses. You're standing there watching, you know, teams like the Raiders are trading Khalil Mack to the Bears. You've got defensive tackle Damon Harrison, uh, wide receiver Amari Cooper. There's even there was even rumblings about elite cornerback Patrick Peterson being traded. The trade deadline is here, and it's nowhere. We get it. I mean, for me personally, when I watch, when I think of trade deadlines that matter, I think of the NHL. I mean, Chris, how much better is the NHL trade deadline than the NFL trade deadline? It's the best. The trade trade deadline is is just way better. When I, I when I was like right out of college, I used to not work the day of the NHL trade deadline, and I would get up and I would watch NHL Network for literally twelve hours. Because, and not move because those there's are tra- so much action. Because those are trades, though, that can also shape 
not only the future of a franchise. I mean, think about it. Mostly it's for deadline deals to make a run at the Stanley Cup. Deadline deals for teams that are on the cusp of maybe competing to take that step closer to competing for, you know, being a shoe-in to win a title. Or sometimes it's guys on the fringe who are like, look, we got to make a move so we can make the postseason so that my coach and GM can keep their job. I mean, it's, it's because those guys can come in and contribute right away. The NFL is so much different. The NFL, there's a, it's a team sport. I mean, we're seeing it this season. With the struggles we've had at quarterback, I mean, it doesn't matter who you blame it on, whether you blame it on the offensive line, the wide receiver group, the quarterback, our offense has been stagnant. So I guess with that, what good is trading for players, Chris? Adding players to this roster via trade by giving up future assets. What is the point of that for the 2018 Buffalo Bills? Well, we have we're going to trade Benjamin McCoy just for getting draft picks. That's did, it. Did you say we are going to? No, is that if we oh. if we trade McCoy and Benjamin, it's just to get picks back. Same reason say. we got rid of McCarron. Well, it, Peterman it, wasn't going to get us a pick. McCarron was. That's why we got rid of him. Well, so this is, I guess, my point though. Fans who are upset again. I don't know what it is about this fan base, but everybody's butthurt, and you really got to come back off the ledge because it's not going to change. This is where we are now. Fans who are upset about the lack of meaningful movement by the Bills, what were you thinking? What exactly were you expecting from not just the team now at the deadline, but heading into this season? We're a defense-heavy team that has a boatload of old players on cheap contracts. I mean, think about it. Our offensive line, Chris, is the one of the cheapest, if not the cheapest, in the off in the NFL. And few of those guys are spring chickens. Bodine's our starter, and he's on his fifth year in the NFL. Ryan Groy is on his, I believe, fourth year. He signed a two-year con- as an RFA, so this is his fifth year on the team. You know, fifth year. Russ Bodine's fifth year. You've got uh, Ducasse, who's been a journeyman. Mills, who's been a journeyman, but he's been around for more than five years. I mean, I think the youngest player on our offensive line is Dawkins, and he's on a second-year deal. And there's Wyatt Teller, who we drafted, but I don't think he's seen the field yet. No, he hasn't. The team just, for whatever reason, doesn't see fit to put him out there. Again, probably because of this, their inclination towards, uh, you know, they value... They They value value experience more than they should. Yes, experience trumps production in their eyes, which is what I chalked it up to. But that being said, Kelvin Benjamin, that's where this conversation starts. Everyone and their mother keeps talking about, oh, well, now's the time to trade Kelvin Benjamin. Chris, are you fucking crazy? If you can, get a pick. If you can, Chris. And you, you and I had an argument before we even started recording tonight's show, which is why I wanted to start with this. Who among NFL GMs wants to trade anything for a wide receiver who takes up $8 million in cap space and hasn't put any kind of real effort forth through eight games of the NFL season? Because we're bad. And if he went to a team that was in the playoffs, the borderline in the playoffs, he's going to put in put forth a little bit more effort. Okay. So what I did for Chris is I went to SportTrack and I pulled up the current cap standings of every team. And then I inversed it in terms of cap space. And then I took, I sent him a screenshot. Chris, I want you to take a look at this list and tell me 
Who amongst these teams is a contender that could afford an $8 million cap hit on their books? Let's maybe maybe even say it's prorated. Let's say it's because it's halfway through the season, they only absorb the, you know, $6 million or $5 million of it. Which one of these teams is a playoff contender? The Steelers, maybe? The Ravens? The Ravens probably could win the division. Okay. The The Ravens, the Steelers, and the Eagles. And the Bengals, which the Bengals, they, their problems are much, much bigger than just one wide receiver. So making that trade doesn't make sense for them. The Philadelphia Eagles have wide receivers. They just need them to be healthy. Okay? The New England Patriots can't afford it. Who else? Chris? The Steelers, maybe? Steelers, Ravens would probably be it. <laughs> That's my point. What kind if of they ret- can win the Super Bowl this year... What and kind he of a return is, uh, are you looking to get for a guy like that? For Buffalo? Yeah. Any a uh, pick. No, but who's going to give a pick for an $8 million receiver that they can get for half that price next year? If Baltimore thinks that adding a wide receiver could help them, their offense. They've never really had wide receivers to begin with. So if they think adding a receiver, could, because they already have a stud defense, if they think adding a receiver could help them to the Super Bowl, you 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 do it. I'm telling you right now, not only are you an idiot, but unless some GM gets hammered in their office, or Brandon Bean somehow figures out Jedi mind tricks and how all that works, I don't see that move happening whatsoever. The only realistic move we had was trading LaShawn McCoy. And I say had, because what is his value right now? First and foremost, you're talking about a guy who has a concussion who might not play this week. If he's not healthy, he's not going anywhere. He's also a, a, white, a running back over 30 years old with a cap hit of almost $9 million next season and a $6 million base salary. Okay? The team trading for him would have to take that on. Are you signing up for that if you're a GM, Chris? If I think he can help me get to a Super Bowl this year, Yes. Because I know you like to look at the future and not here and now. You wouldn't, if one player, if your team was going to the Super Bowl and needed one player to make a difference, you wouldn't do that. You'd be like, nope, not gonna, not gonna mortgage the future. But Chris, we if, just, we, we just ran it over. The only teams that have the cap space available to handle those kind of, are not Super Bowl contenders. They're teams that Philadelphia, are maybe playoff contenders. Philadelphia is going to be in the playoffs. Okay, you're in the playoffs. Is that one running back going to be the thing that tips the scales for you? Because if so, you're not giving up draft capital for it when you could draft another running back. You could draft another, especially running back. But you can't draft a running back for this season. My point is this season, winning the Super Bowl in February, not future, right now. You're too far into the future. I'm right now. Seagram's bet neither player gets traded. I'll go with McCoy. Okay, there it is. Done. Neither player gets traded. I'm willing I just to say said either. McCoy. Oh, I know. But I'm willing to say that I'm going to give you odds. Okay? If either one of them goes, I lose. All if right, either good. one of them I goes, think... I lose. That's how confident I am that this isn't happening. And people need to stop. This team isn't talented, and the two talented guys we have on offense are grossly overpaid. That's what we're trying to work our way out from under. That's what this is all about. You have a limited talent on offense, which is why you're seeing what you're seeing on the field every single Sunday. 
We are undermanned but overpaid on the offensive side of the football. Even with the cheapest offensive line in football. It astounds me that people think that any of this is a good idea. And since I'm already, now I'm pissed off, we might as well just launch right into our Week 7 recap. Colts 37, Bills 5. The stats of the game. I think you can just do this. If we were doing video, you could probably do the stats of the game by just using one hand. <laughs> that's, how, that's how low these numbers are. It's the most important stat, people. The Bills scored five points. One hand. Oh, Derek Anderson, 20 of 30, or excuse me, 31, 64.5% completion percentage. One of the highest for a Bills quarterback this season, Chris. 175 yards, two sacks, three interceptions, and one fumble, and at least 30 seconds spent asking himself, why did I sign up for this? Andrew Luck, 17-23, good for 739 156 yards and four touchdowns. He threw 156 yards and four touchdowns. Colts running backs, 30 attempts, 220 rushing yards, good for 7.3 yards per touch. One touchdown, four receptions for 36 yards and another touch. I mean, all of that went to Marlon Mack. Two touchdowns, 126 rushing on 19 attempts. Kelvin Benjamin. 4-5 4-5 for 71 yards. One 14-yard penalty for unsportsmanlike, uh, excuse me, unnecessary roughness. It should have been unsportsmanlike conduct. I don't know why they, they I think they called it the wrong thing. I mean, you, you face-grabbed a guy after the game, after the play was over. That roughness, I think, would parlay into the actual play itself. Lorenzo Alexander, 27% of the defensive snaps, 18 total snaps, one tackle. Tremaine Edmonds, seven solo tackles, one quarterback hit. Matt Milano, four solo tackles. Teron Johnson, seven tolo, uh, solo tackles, one tackle for a loss. Now, folks, the highlight of Sunday wasn't anything for me. That wasn't anything that happened on the field. Chris is going to have to help in here with the timeline because I don't exactly remember when it happened. About two-thirds of the way through the game, I started dipping into Jenny Cream Ale. <laughs> I mean, it was, it's, that's a desperation move for anybody. But I was going pretty hard. So I don't know the exact moment that this occurred. Chris claims it was after the game ended. I was angry about what I was seeing on the field. But I was hanging out. You know, there was a bunch of us at a friend of ours' house party. We were all sitting around watching the game. There's food. I'm in the kitchen. I'm not even in the room with the TV. Yeah, we could even we could even get into that. We go to a party where, <laughs> oh, yeah, we're going to stream the game off Spectrum Internet. How <laughs> do you not have an HD antenna in your house? Chris was beside himself that the game was all pixelated and blurry, but I'll tell you this. It actually saved us from a lot of it on game day. I enjoyed the hell out of my day. But then I'm watching the score, and I'm getting more bitter, and I'm starting to drink faster and faster, and I'm getting agitated. And right as I almost hit the usual tipping point for me during a Bills loss, where things turn to shit and my attitude goes south and everyone's unhappy, I stumbled across a fucking gem. Folks, for those of you who might not know this, Chris used to be a commercial actor. Well, actor in general. I've been on TV, TV, and I've done print ads. So. And apparently in order to get those roles, 
You got to have headshots. You got to have professional headshots. Had them done twice. So here I am, drunkenly scrolling through Facebook, just mining, you know, just mindless shit. And I don't know how I ended up at it, but I ended up on Chris's Facebook and I see this photo of him. It's a professional headshot of him doing literally left hand on the chest, like in the center of his chest, right hand in the air, eyes up and forward like he's laughing at something hysterical that someone just said. He's like 19. He has his hair gelled up into spikes. I laughed. Chris, you'll have to describe it. Yeah, you it. fell on the floor laughing. I, I was I like laughed 20. So I was hard. either 22 or 23 when that happened. And if you read the comments, the you're wrong on the emotion. The emotion was more of a sadness slash I can't believe. And I wrote it in the caption of the photo of the emotion is, oh my God, I just found out that Will and Grace got canceled. I will tell you what my emotion was. It saved my Sunday. I'm going to tweet this photo out. Yes, I've saved it. I'm going to tweet this photo out. So for all of you listening to this, go to at Report on Twitter to see Chris's amazing headshot that saved my Sunday. I continue. I will tell you, continue to drink the rest of this bucket of beers that we have because then you're just going to uh, foil up your pizza incorrectly later. <laughs> Forget that you even said this and this photo won't ever make it to Twitter. Which I won't mind if it does. I was laying on the floor laughing so hard that my insides hurt, folks. I mean, that was the highlight of the day for me. And when something that absurd happens, how can you really be angry? (laughs) So, talking about the game. I understand that any time that you score five points in a football game, or you lose by more than 30, there's people out there who are going to just whitewash the whole thing as a debacle. And claim that everything sucked. And that the sky is going to crush us all to death because it's falling. When I talked to my mother on Sunday night, she was like, "How did you? How do you do five points?" <laughs> I had to explain it. I had to explain the NFL point system to my mother. I'll tell you this: I stopped listening to WGR more than three weeks ago, and my drives to and from work have gotten so much better. So all I know of what the fan base thinks is what I see on Facebook and Twitter. And that was such a cesspool after the game that it, if it wasn't for Chris's hilarious photo, it probably would have driven me to a level of depression that drove me to get my own headshots done. Early on in the game, I mean, when you actually look at what happened, we came into this game with some poise. When you take the first quarter and slice that off and just look at what it was in terms of a football game, It's proof that game flow matters, okay? You're talking about Anderson. He comes out, and everyone's expecting him, me me included, is expecting this guy to look like the next Billy Joe Hobart. He just got here a week ago. How much of the playbook could he have possibly digested? He actually picked up two first downs with his arm on the very first drive and moved the ball out to the 50-yard line before having to punt which set the D up for solid field position on the next possession. They immediately go out and get a three and out with the defense. That first quarter, the plan that we put into place was working, even after losing LaShawn McCoy. So after the defense gives up a long touchdown drive on the ensuing possession, after that punt, we go three and out. We give them the ball back. We shut them out. Well, no. 
back backtrack for a second. LaShawn McCoy goes down. We get the ball. We go down the field. We punt. We pin them back. We get the ball back. Anderson is again making passes down the field. Gets the Bills into scoring position, Chris. Charles Clay. Charles Clay is making $9 million to be the Buffalo Bills' number one tight end. And yet, he's been spottily effective. He's rarely... He's rarely been a dynamic player for the team. And he's, I mean, in a game like this where now you're dealing with a veteran quarterback. You're not dealing with a rookie who doesn't know how to throw to him. You're dealing with a veteran who said, okay, I see my guy open. I'm going to throw it to him. He completes the pass for nine yards. And it's like Clay's never caught a ball and learned how to hang on to it through contact before. You know, uh, just from Ubering, I know where he lives if you want to. <laughs> Drive by mooning? I mean, essentially... The game at worst is seven to three if Clay holds onto that ball. Instead, everything unravels from there and we'll never know how competitive the game could have been. Because after that, you turn the ball over. The, the defense has only had a few minutes to rest. They come out, the Colts march down the field and score a touchdown. On the two ensuing possessions, the Bills offense managed an average of two minutes and 18 seconds of possession. So think about that, Chris. We were holding our own. We're about to score. We're about to make this a close game. Turn the ball over. Momentum killer. Everything swings the opposite direction. They score. Now you're down by two scores. It affects how you play offense. And now you're, I don't want to say you're in your own head, but you're essentially in a point where we're an offense who doesn't score. You're already down two scores because of the offense. Because of the offense. So wait, you would you saying like we our offense like probably didn't put forth enough effort? No, and then the problem. No, no but here's the problem: because they're so severely undergunned, and now they have to pass the ball. You go three and out, two consecutive possessions. You gas your defense very quickly, and your defense trots out there and gets touchdown, touchdown, two consecutive touchdown drives. March down their throat. Both of those drives were more than 70 yards. So it's not like they were dealing with short fields. It's just that the defense is exhausted because they just went and played 70 yards with the defense. And then they get trotted out there and they play another 70 yards with the defense. I mean, Chris, all I can say is that the poor play by the offense after those first handful of drives opened the floodgates, gassed our defense, and that's how the game got away from everybody. That's it. The game flow matters, and we watched it just destroy and scuttle any game plan that our team had. So the offensive coordinator, it's on Dable to go back, go back and look at this and see what happened. Okay, We get it. The fumble killed your momentum, but why were you so unable to get any of that momentum back? What stopped working was it a limited playbook? I mean, I don't want to, I'm not going to, I mean, I'm not going to speculate and say, well, it's because he was just got here. But Chris, does it stand to reason that a quarterback who just showed up in a week can't digest the whole playbook? That is 100% true. So you probably gave him a shortened version of the, the standard playbook, the plays everybody knows, and you told him, listen, here's 20 plays, go out and execute them. Well, Did we even get 20 plays? I don't <laughs> Jesus. It didn't feel like it. Now, here's there, there, there was 
There was really not a lot left to be encouraged by when it came to the offense. Now, when it came to the Colts offense against our defense, this was probably the most interesting matchup of the entire day because we just touched on it. A quarterback, we got blown out. And the quarterback that we played against threw for 154 yards. Chris. I still lost my fantasy matchup this week in the rock pile league. <laughs> and I now, had luck. The people listening here might might have wondered why I threw Lorenzo Alexander's numbers into my collection of pertinent statistics, considering that he didn't have any. That is the exact reason why. As the game was being played, I'm sure you all noticed the absolute clubbing that we got at the hands of the Colts running backs. I mean, they were they paced the Colts offense throughout the afternoon. Marlon Mack had almost as many rushing yards as his quarterback had passing yards. He wrecked our shit. It was so bad that watching Anytime they handed the, by the end of the game, I had experienced all five stages of grief in one singular football game. And Chris, you watched it. I started off, you know. Well, the first quarter was very pixelated. I, I didn't get to. I started off in denial. Eh, this isn't happening. This isn't happening. The team is going to pick it up. The team is going to pick it up. And then there was acceptance. Well, no, it was grief and then denial. And then there was some other things. And I mean, the whole thing just sucked. But by the end of it, I was just, okay, this is it. This is the day we're going to have. We ended in acceptance in the sense that their running backs are too much for us to handle. But with a game as pixelated and for me just drinking as hard as I did, I wasn't exactly trying to find any nuance to it. So afterwards, I went back, rewatched it, and looked at the statistics. Lorenzo Alexander has been playing some of his, be- some of his best football over the past few weeks. I mean, Chris, he he was huge in that Titans game. Huge. A week after I called him a liability against the pass, he was taking on running backs in the flat. He was taking on running backs in space. He was being a force at the line of scrimmage, and he was a pass rusher. With that in mind, Edmonds and Milano have been up and down, as you would expect a first and second year player to be. They didn't play all that well on Sunday. No. Because with that in mind, the Colts decided that unlike the Titans and Texans, they weren't going to let us play base defense. Instead, they took our most experienced and effective linebacker in terms of performance against running backs and put him on the sidelines. They came out in a lot of multiple wide receiver and just offset split formations, which forced the Bills to play a ton of nickel defense. Now last year, we talked about how the Bills' defense was at its best when it got to play nickel. Because we had a veteran cornerback in the middle in Leonard Johnson. We had E.J. Gaines on the outside. And we had another good run-stopping cornerback in Trey White on the other side. And we had some effective linebacker play. Well, we're not getting that. We have Phillip Gaines. We have a rookie in Teron Johnson. We have a rookie in Trey Edmonds. And we have a second-year player in Matt Milano. So... This team did. I mean, kudos to their offensive coordinator. I don't know if it's Frank Reich, who is their de facto OC, or if he's hired somebody. But whoever came up with this plan, they executed it to perfection. They essentially spread us horizontally with a bunch of rookies in the middle of the field, wide open for abuse. Our most inexperienced defenders were essentially put on islands, which is why I read off all of their tackle statistics. All of them 
Edmonds, Milano, and Johnson. They combined for 18 solo tackles. No assists on any of them. I mean, Chris, that's that's the mark of hey, I'm not you're not tackling him at the line of scrimmage. When you're tackling somebody and it's a solo tackle every single time, that's when you get into Paul Pazuzny territory, where you're tackling somebody <laughs> four to five yards downfield every single time. And when you look at the defense as a whole, the entire roster combined for just four assisted tackles. The Colts offense spread us out and then found creative ways to put each and every one of our defenders on an island. That'll okay? happen when you have an offensive head coach. That's it. A creative mind with a great quarterback who can distribute the ball appropriately. I mean, I think the biggest backbreaker was the Colts' success when rushing around the ends of the defense. Now, I just said it. Philip Gaines sucks in run support. And well, our not line- just run support. He also sucks in life. <laughs> he sucks at everything. Our linebackers couldn't get to the edge consistently. Too often, they just got caught... Because our defensive, I will say, our defensive line didn't do them a ton of favors in keeping them clean and allowing them to flow to the football. But they missed a lot of plays. There was a lot of plays left on the table by our defense, but a lot of that's kudos to the speed and just the play design of the Colts. They feasted on the fact that we have a lot of inexperience in a nickel formation with two rookies and a second-year player on the inside of our defense, and they ate us alive using it. I mean, think about this, Chris. Every running back on their roster, not even just the 126 yards that Marlon Mack put up, every running back had at least two runs of 10 yards or more running around the edges of the defense, which is normally where you expect your defensive backs, your safeties, your linebackers to come in and make those tackles. I mean, all the way around. The Colts ate our shit with their offensive game plan. We had no response. And that's, I guess, more frustrating because you're talking about a defensive-minded team, right, Chris? That's what we are. We got McDermott, head coach, defensive defensive dude. The fact that Leslie Frazier and he couldn't come up with a some kind of a counter for this after just getting just drubbed in the first half. I I it was it was depressing to say the least. And then there was Derek Anderson. Okay? The good, the bad, and then there's a there's a forward outlook here. There really is. I mean, if your offense only scores five points in a football game, you can bet that your quarterback didn't play very well. But that's not to say that there weren't some positives that came away from everything. I mean, first of all, the things he didn't do well were the exact things that I expected from him. First of all, his arm strength. Anybody who expected him to come here and, I don't know, well, what were you expecting? Him to throw like Patrick Mahomes? What is he, like 408 years old? He's 35, and he hasn't been a consistent starter in the better part of the last six or seven seasons. He's older than the dirt he sleeps in. (laughs) So his arm strength is not, not all that great. And even worse is his deep accuracy. I mean, I think you saw that on the interception he threw right before halftime. Which one? <laughs> the one right before halftime, Chris, that resulted in a field goal. I think that uh, I think that was pixelated. I didn't see it. So, when I'm looking at him, I assumed what we were getting was a, a comparable to a Ryan Fitzpatrick. But after watching him play, in terms of physical ability, I don't even think he's Ryan Fitzpatrick worthy. 
in terms of the strength of his arm and the, uh, the velocity that he can put onto the football. That's going to be a problem going forward. Well, this was like, what, his fifth start in the last five years? Yeah, as it should be. <laughs> but there were some positive things to take away from his performance. First of all, decisiveness. Now, these are the things that I'm hoping that Josh Allen, sitting on the sideline, is watching from Derek Anderson and saying, hey, I can emulate that. Or at least that, hey, I think I can, I think I can learn something from this guy. When, when he saw a read, I mean, you saw a quarterback who didn't look flustered in the pocket. Peterman did. Allen did. This is the first game this season where I saw a quarterback who just stood in the pocket, calmly scanned the field, found a read, and made a throw. When he, when he thought he saw someone, he threw with anticipation. I mean, it's not a coincidence that Kelvin Benjamin had his most productive day. He threw with anticipation to Kelvin Benjamin. In the, the, in the first quarter, he made a big a big throw. I think it was 17 yards. He throws the ball well before Benjamin's open. And Benjamin's only job is to just go up and catch it. Hopefully, Allen is watching this. And he's taking all of this in because that's, A, that's, I mean, Anderson wasn't supposed to be playing, but that's his role here, is to teach him that these are the things you have to do even if you're, t- even if I don't have your arm talent, I can still do some things better than you can. And hopefully, he's taking note of these things. Decisiveness was one of them. He calmly scanned the field. He stood in the pocket, and when he saw an opening, he didn't hesitate. He just threw it, and it resulted in a lot of catches for yards after the catch. And then his poise was in the pocket, Chris. I've bashed Allen these past few weeks for his just. You've bashed him since uh, April. Well, yes, but the kid wants to run. He constantly wants to run. And sometimes I don't blame him because he's behind an offensive line that doesn't do a whole do him a whole lot of favors. With that said, watching Anderson operate, he stood in the pocket, and he looked and he looked and he looked, and when pressure got close, he didn't flee. Really a lot of times found a guy to get the ball away to. Right. Chris... These are things that as a rookie, you I've said it before, I don't expect him to know. But I expect him to know if a coaching staff is willing to put him back out on the field. So again, there were positive things to take away from this, especially the yards after the catch when you're talking about going up, a te- up against a team like the New England Patriots next week and you've already ruled Josh Allen out. I mean, that's the outlook going forward. Hopefully he learns from this as he's sitting on the sidelines watching a guy like Derek Anderson operate. And my hope is that going forward throughout the next at least two games, I'm willing to say that through the next two games, Anderson will play. I think Anderson should play for as long as he's healthy. He should stay out there. Let the the consequences be what they are. Leave the rookie on the bench until he's proven that he's learned what he can from this veteran. Learn that he's picked up some of these nuances. Because the more comfortable Anderson gets with the personnel and our lack of an offensive line, and our and the more they open the playbook up to him, I think you're going to see them make strides on offense from what we've seen, which isn't much, Chris. <laughs> Chris, it's, it's hard to be worse than what we've gotten from the Buffalo Bills in 2018, right? Yeah, it, uh, it's hard to be worse, and... Believe me, it'll get worse on Monday night on ESPN.
I don't think it will. We're going to talk about that in a second, but we got to run off the hero and zero of the game. The hero, I gave it to a group, a position group, the specialists. Stephen Hauschka, Reed Ferguson, and Corey Bohorquez. Here's the deal. I'm the best there is, plain and simple. I mean, I wake up in the morning, I piss excellence. Now, Chris, you, did I nail that pronunciation or I what? I think you nailed the pronunciation. Yes! You didn't spell it anywhere <laughs> close. <laughs> Who can? Folks, even talking to Reed Ferguson, long sample for the Buffalo Bills, there's few people around the facility who actually know how to pronounce Corey Bohorquez's last name properly. So I feel good about getting it right. Yeah, we, we only learned this on Monday you know what else when I we fe- watch Monday Night Football with Reed. You know what else I feel good about? I feel good about the fact that for my stag, I gave away a football signed by Stephen Hauschka, Reed Ferguson, and at the time, punter, Colt, uh, Colton Schmidt. Colton Schmidt. Who just worked out with the Pats. I'll say this. I pronounced them to be the most effective position group on the Bills in 2018. And I'd like to stand by that and say that I am correct. You look at that group and the game they put on on Sunday, because they're really the only ones who did everything that was asked of them. They all touched the ball just a handful of times, and nothing catastrophic happened. Reed made six solid snaps. Hauschka made the one field goal attempt that he was asked to. And Corey didn't drop the ball. Corey didn't, not just didn't drop the ball, he had five punts for an average of 43 yards that resulted in zero return yardage. That's solid. If you're kicking the ball 40 yards downfield on average and there's no return, I mean, I'm sorry, but you pop bottles over that as a, as a punter. I mean, they, 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 they are literally the only positive thing I could take away from this game. And on the zero side of things, again, you got to give it to offensive coordinator Brian Dable. Hey, if you want me to take a dump in a box and mark it guaranteed, I will. Right now, there's an ESPN article by Mike Rodak floating around out there that details how the current at the at the current rate, the Bills are on pace to field the worst statistical offense in the modern history of the NFL. Opinion pieces for me are easy to take with a grain of salt, and I understand that there's a lot of Bills fans who do not like Mike Rodak. They don't. Buffalo media don't like Mike Rodak. They call him a oh, he's a Pats fan. He's uh, he's this. He's that. He's biased. He's terrible. He hates this team. But while numbers, you can take numbers and try to twist them to fit a narrative. Numbers are a quantitative measure. So regardless of talent, quarterback situation, whatever, if you've scored. <laughs> If you've scored just five points and you are the architect behind some of the ugliest quantitative measures taken since I was still wearing diapers, Chris, how is that acceptable? I mean, I'm sorry, that <laughs> makes you the zero every single week by default until you prove otherwise. Yeah, you don't have a whole lot to work with. I mean, Jesus, you can you can discredit Mike Rodak when he's talking uh, when he's writing opinion pieces. When he's just quoting statistics and saying, well, nobody else has had this few yards per carry. Nobody else has had this low uh, yards per attempt through the air. Nobody else. I saw a tweet this week by Nate Geary who pointed out the fact that you talk about the triple option offense in collegiate football. It's literally an offense that exists to avoid throwing the ball. 
It's a series of pitch outs. You might as well be playing fucking rugby. And at the same time, there's two colleges, Georgia Tech and Army University. Georgia Tech and Army run the triple option offense because they don't they, they don't recruit quarterbacks. They have more passing touchdowns than the Buffalo Bills do. How does this happen? <laughs> I'm mad, but I can't stay there because Jesus Christ, it's so bad, it's funny. I mean, Chris, I don't, I, if, if I don't laugh, my teeth are going to turn around. It's Billsy is what it is. It's Billsy. If I don't keep laughing about this stuff, my teeth are going to turn around and devour my brain. I so mean, there we well, go. They've already turned around and started devouring your gums, so <laughs> your brain's not far behind. All I can say, Chris, is thank God that game ended. Cheers. We survived. So as we're sitting here trying to cool off and just trying to you know think about the week that was, as we did last week, and as, as is going to be a recurring segment for as long as we're terrible this season, I've produced a list of people who have it worse than Bills fans this week. You are one pathetic loser. That list is headlined by Colts kicker Adam Vinatieri. You think you had an ugly Sunday. You, know, you might have been pissed about the game. You might have been angry that... Wow, the Bills are you know the Bills are shit on offense again, and their defense is overmatched. And we're getting blown out. I mean, for not for nothing, Sean McDermott has I I believe now Chris he he leads NFL or at least Bills coaches in games where you've lost by more than twenty five. He leads Bills coaches in that metric, not just losses, but games that you've lost by more than twenty five points. So, if you think you had an ugly Sunday, imagine being Adam Vinatieri. Adam Vinatieri could have broken the NFL record for all-time points scored. And instead, he shanked extra points and pulled his groin in the process. (laughs) Now, he's sitting one field goal shy of the record and has to sit there on the sideline while the team works out other kickers in case he can't play. Chris... What's the value of a 40-year-old kicker with, I mean, a, with a bad groin? He's the best ever. Okay, he's the best ever, but he's you have to think that in the back of his mind, he's contemplating the reality that at 40 years old, if the team brings in a young kicker... He's like 45, I think. He's, he's 40-something. There was a lot of gray in there. I mean, I think I have more gray than him, but barely. At 40-whatever, a new kicker comes in and excels. Just lights out. Good from 50, booming leg, kind of a Jake Elliott situation. Or Daniel Carlson, he's available. What if he doesn't see the field again this year? He's going to know that he goes into an offseason where he might not get signed by anybody. One field goal shot. (laughs) Somebody would sign him for that. Oh, my God. I mean, essentially, he's got to sit there now and wait and hope that he gets another start so that he can set the record. And just pray that no kid comes through and just ruins everything. You know, because I can just picture him sitting there watching his dreams fall apart in front of him the way you must every single time a woman gets into your car on a date after about 15 minutes. Hey, I'm working. I got a prospect. I got a prospect. Um, I got a prospect I'm working on. All right. So, you know, apologies to our uh, female listeners. You know, pack up your vaginas and go home. 
Ladies, don't throw yourself at Chris for the love of God, whatever you were planning on doing. Next up on the list of people who you should all feel bad for, even though we're the Bills, Jaguars head coach Doug Marone. <laughs> Last year, the Jaguars were the surprise of the AFC and just one competent quarter of football away from the Super Bowl. Chris, where does the time go? Look at where we are today. Well, just wait until February because uh, you're going to have to drink a Seagram's. You did say they were going to go to the Super Bowl this I year. I did. <laughs> what an ass I am. The Jaguars are 3-4 and four and still somehow second in their division because it's shit. It's absolute shit. Football Outsiders. Last over this past summer. WGR had them on and tried to goad them into saying that the Bills were going to be terrible by asking, which team do you think is going to regress the most? And instead, the the representative from Football Outsiders that they had on surprised them by saying the Jacksonville Jaguars. (laughs) And after listening to his reasoning, it made a lot of sense. He said that the Jacksonville Jaguars in 2017 had the most time spent with a lead. And also, we're leading the you know, we're at the top end of the league as as far as rushing efficiency went. So the prediction was that the defense would struggle if they were asked to do more than play, you know, asked to do more base defense and play less just defending the pass and pass rushing. I mean, they they got the name Saxonville last year out of nowhere. I don't know where their defense started producing pressure. Well, that was because teams had no choice but to pass. Because the Jaguars were like an anaconda. They just kept rushing the football and scoring. Well, this season, Chris, Leonard Fournette. Hammy. Down with an injured. Cam Sims. Injury. That's a person? You had had TJ Yeldon, your second string back, but he's he's had ankle problems. Roll Todd. Your offensive line has been beat up. And your quarterback is Blake Bortles. Oh, yeah, that's right. The guy that Doug Marone helped lobby for to get a three-year extension with the football team. Chris, he was a part of that. So imagine how you feel if you're Doug Marone, knowing all this stuff. You're three and four. You've lost some awful football games. And this week, reporters tried to go into the locker room. Now, the NFL has a mandatory 15-minute cooling-off period. Which means you leave the field, you get into the locker room with your team, you do your post-game speech, you give out your game balls if you won, if you lost, everybody goes to their corners, you talk about it, and you get 15 minutes to cool down before reporters are allowed in the locker room to start asking questions and doing interviews. The reporters go into the locker room after 15 minutes and they walk in on the middle of the defensive line trying to break up a fist fight between outside linebackers and the offensive players. So they had to get another 15-minute cooling-off period. The locker room is deteriorating. Your quarterback is a boob who had to be pulled for ineffectiveness. I mean, Chris, is this the same team that almost went to the Super Bowl last year? They they don't look like it to me. I have no idea, but I know you can't rely on Blake Bortles or Cody Kessler. They're both trash. Doug Marone thought that was a good idea. Doug Marone now has to parade himself. I wonder if he's having flashbacks to the Buffalo Bills. Is he going to quit at the end of the year? I hope so. Oh, my God, I hope so. Oh, now he has to fly to England and take on the Eagles, the former last year's Super Bowl champions, who have all of the offensive firepower and enough defense to turn this into an absolute rout. 
And because it's on at 9 a.m., everyone's going to be able to tune in and see it. They're the only game. Oh, man, life sucks for that guy. It's going to be but, fun for us because you get 9.30 a.m. football, 1 o'clock football, 4 o'clock football, and then Sunday night. Right? And I won't be angry during any of it. Yeah, because we play on, <laughs> or we lose on Monday. And then, how about this, Chris? Ohio State football fans. A week or two ago, life was sweet. Ohio State's number two in the nation. You went into Happy Valley and beat Penn State because of the stupidity of their uh, final play call. I mean, their coach is an idiot. And you thought you were in the driver's seat for the Big Ten Conference. Then you go on the road to play unranked Purdue University and commit 11 penalties, get outscored 21-6 to in the first three quarters, 28-14 to in the fourth, and suffer one of the worst upsets in Ohio State University history. That is amazing. I mean, Chris, outside of your headshots, that loss on Saturday night might have been one of my favorite things of the entire weekend. Did you go through my other set of headshots? There's two of them. There's, there's two of them. Oh, don't threaten me with a good time. There's the first ones and the second ones. The second ones I had to get redone when I got signed to a talent agency. You're welcome. I've got <laughs> talent. Thank you. Now, Ohio State's been dropped to 11th in their standings. And because of the severity of the loss, it's doubtful they're going to make it back into the playoff hunt. Chris, Urban Meyer, it's hysterical. He's, he took over that Ohio State team. He won a national title. He's had, well, how many now? Five or six other teams stocked with NFL-caliber talent that he just can't find a way to get anything done with. Well, he did pretty good at Florida when he had all those murderers. Yeah, and then he faked a, he faked an injury to get a, he faked some kind of illness to get out to, to essentially get out of his contract at Florida because he was afraid of Nick Saban, as he should be. He's not the first to flee, and he won't be the last. But man, if you are a fan of Ohio State football, I mean, you look at that. I mean, think about it. You have to go, <laughs> you have to go into the bye week as a fan, wondering. Why is my quarterback throwing the ball 73 times in a single game? <laughs> you know, I was listening to Cowherd today, and he had Klatt on. Klatt, Klatt, Joel Klatt's a lead analyst for Fox College Football. Uh, he was, they specifically talked about this. Uh, I don't know the dude's name from Ohio State. He threw the ball 73 times. Haskins. And he he threw for 400-something yards. Yes. And then Klatt goes... Tua Tagaviola has thrown the ball 72 times in the last four games and has, like, 1,036 <laughs> yards and 13 touchdowns. <laughs> There's no reason for Ohio State to be doing what it's doing other than that it amuses me. So, fuck those guys. Feel bad for them. And then the final guy on this list, who to get us back to the NFL, Dolphins wide receiver Devontae Parker. I mean, this is just awkward. Devontae Parker, the Dolphins' former first-round draft pick out of Louisville, a wide receiver. They make him inactive on Sunday because the team says he has a quad injury, which came as a surprise to everybody because he was a full participant in practice all week. After the game, Parker's agent got pissed and started just taking shots left and right at head coach Adam Gase, publicly insinuating that he was a liar in terms of his client's health made accusations that he was purposely not paying, playing his client even though he was healthy, multiple times called him incompetent and said that he needs to take, he needs to take ownership of his own failure. 
Now, Chris, I think that a lot of these comments stem from the fact that Devontae Parker's agent is trying to force the team to trade him before the deadline. And, you know, there was talk, there was things, but nothing materialized. And now you look at the depth chart and you realize that Albert Wilson, their number two wide receiver, he's he's gone for the season. Kenny Stills has a groin injury and the team has to play on Thursday. They have no choice but to keep him around past the deadline. Yeah, I think they uh, I think they only have two guys on the depth chart at receiver. <laughs> That's how bad it is in Miami. So now Devontae Parker, after his agent just launching this tirade against his head coach, has to go to practice. <laughs> has to go to practice. He has to show. I mean, in my mind, I compare this to somebody's wife who gets shit-faced at a company picnic and just starts making an ass out of herself. You know, maybe she tells off a few of his coworkers. You know, his or her husband's coworkers. This guy sucks ass, and my husband knows his shit way more than you do, and you make his life hard. Oh, just burns the room down. And then that guy has to go back to work on Monday and try to avoid as much eye contact as possible. <laughs> this sounds like this happens with reverse, <laughs> but, like, if you went to a company party with Larissa, that would be you. Yelling at her coworkers that she's awesome <laughs> and that she has to go back to work on Monday. Like, that's probably where you got this analogy from, is because it literally happened with you. I'm going to plead the fifth on all of that. All I know is that talk about fucking awkward. I mean, Parker's doing the tap dance that everyone expects him to do. I don't agree with the statements my agent made. <laughs> well, he's his own man and he says what. Good luck playing that off. I'm sure everything won't be weird as hell this week. You got well. You got one more that you didn't write in here. You should probably should have had it based on what happened today. But uh, Niagara Falls, New York, the U.S. side of things, will be having a worse week. Lock your doors, Niagara Falls. Chad Kelly's coming home. (laughs) Oh, cheers to that, Chris. So with that, we're going to take a look at the AFC's roundup. And we're going to stick with Miami. I mean, every team in the division gave up at least 30 points on defense. But look at the atrociousness that the Reds were able to cook up. Those of you who were mad at the Buffalo Bills. The, the Dolphins lost. Lions 32, Dolphins 21. The Dolphins started out as a team, red hot. And now they're one in three in their last four games, sitting at four and three on the season. I mean, it feels like deja vu, and it's hilarious. I mean, think, Chris, last season they were four and two, and I heard the same shit that I heard this season from Dolphins fans. This is our year. The division's ours. The Patriots are dead. Boo! Our time is finally here. And then they lost five straight games to take them out of postseason contention. On Sunday, the Finns were never a part of the game. That offense from last week, dried up. Gone. Completely grounded. They were in a 20-7 hole earlier in the, early in the third quarter. The story of the game is rookie running back Carrion Johnson's 19-carry, 158-yard performance. And that paced the Lions' offense. That's all they needed. You know, He averaged 8.1 yards per carry. And had 21 yards receiving for good measure. A rookie got almost 200 yards at running back against them, Chris. And he's not even that good. I mean, he played for Auburn. How good could he be? Very good. (laughs) 
talking about? Malzahn knows how to run the ball. Ah, oh, beer down. Beer down. All right, we all good now? You spilled your beer on my fancy kitchen table. We're back. We're good. You're good? You're not going to spill that? I'm going to spill. Chris, this kitchen table might be the fanciest thing about your entire existence. So going back to the Dolphins, I think the most damning thing about the Dolphins this season and what you're seeing play out in the way that they play football, three of their five most highly paid players, defensive ends Robert Quinn, Cam Wake, and Andre Branch, who combined for $31 million in cap space and 18% of the team's total cap have just three combined sacks, almost no tackles, and have literally just been the biggest disappointments since, I don't know, Chris to his parents after high school. Uh, I would go with my brother. He's uglier than me. He's uglier than you, but he's a train conductor who does very well for himself. Well, he's an engineer. That's... <laughs> He doesn't. He works at the railroad. He doesn't drive the train. He's, he's smarter than that. See, now you just demoted him in my head because unfortunately, engineer means nothing to me. I just thought guy who drives the train. No, he's, he's got to be the smartest guy in the room. He's got patents in with the United States government. He's smart. I'm and, not. And yet here you are. Telling, I'm not because I'm friends with you. I was going to say here you are I'm with me telling with, dick jokes yeah. on a podcast. <laughs> Next up on the dock at the New York Jets. Vikings 37, Jets 17. I mean, it, I don't know who the Jets are as a football team. I don't know what to, I don't know what to take them as. We haven't played any division games yet. One week, the Jets will trounce someone because their defense plays tough. They get turnovers. Their rushing attack just, uh, just suffocates everybody. And the opposing defense just can't keep up with the fact that Sam Darnold is on fire. The next week, their quarterback finishes with a passer rating of less than 35. The team converts 15% of its third downs, and they get blown off the map. Darnold was 17 of 42 on the day. So that's 40% for everybody keeping score at home. Just one touchdown, three sacks, three picks, and two fumbles. You suck, you jackass. To make things worse, a bunch of those turnovers came when the game was still within 10 points. They could have come back and won if he just hadn't turned the ball over. Their defense was just decimated by wide receiver Adam Thielen. The guy had nine catches on 10 targets for 110 yards and a touch. That's the same offense that the Bills just completely corralled in. Chris, what is happening here? Uh, I mean, obviously the Vikings made Darnold look like a rookie, as he should be. I mean, I still think the Jets are going to get to a Super Bowl within five years because Darnold's that good. But the Vikings have a good defense. Okay, so what? He had a bad game. Yeah, well, it's too bad. Uh, and he, but he also, it's too bad Sam Darnold couldn't jump over Anthony Barr. Yeah, I'm just, sorry. Yeah, he doesn't have... He doesn't have the jumping ability to jump over Anthony Barr. Well, this week the Jets are going to have to go on the road and play the red-hot Mitch Trubisky, who just got done almost, almost beating the New England Patriots. The New England Patriots finished last week. Patriots 38, Bears 31 in a nail-biter. The Patriots held on to win because, of course, they did. What the fuck is happening right now? Mitch Trubisky threw for 333 yards and two touchdowns and was just one yard shy of the game-tying Hail Mary touchdown on the final play. He had a hand in his face. 
I think if he could have fully stepped into that ball, that ball would have went into the end zone. I mean, and in truth, when you look at what that game was, the Patriots had to rely on two special teams touchdowns just to stay afloat in that game. The big stories to come out of it, though, if you're talking about fans of the AFC East, were the injuries for the Patriots. The offense struggled out of the gate in 2018 with consistency, but as they got healthier, Sony Michelle kind of found his footing and really took off. And that's when you saw the scoring and the consistency come back for the Patriots offense. So Sony Michelle sprains his knee. He's been labeled week to week. They didn't have Gronk on hand because he's recovering from back and ankle injuries. And now they've got a starting right tackle in the concussion protocol. I mean, that's a lot. Those are three starting players for your offense. We're all ailing, some of whom will not, have already been ruled out to play the Bills on Monday night. I almost want to do a secret bet with you right right here on some of these things that you have written in our... Every, every week, Drew sends me a rundown of the list of everything that we're going to go through in the form of that it's going to be in. I honestly think I should do a, a Seagram's, Seagram's bottle bet that next week when we do the review of the Monday night game that you will still spell Sony Michelle's last name incorrectly because <laughs> you have it spelled incorrectly all over this note sheet that you sent me. He's a he's a Patriot player. Who the, what the fuck do I care? What, you know what it is? I love the guy. I drafted him on my fantasy football teams. I loved him coming out of Georgia. The moment you put that jersey on, you're fucking dead to me. I don't care. I've had it. Oh, now I'm all fired up, Chris. It's as good as Tom Annie. Let's start it. The Monday Night Football Preview. Buffalo Bills versus the New England Patriots. The time, Chris. 8 p.m. Eastern Standard. The place. Well, kickoff's at 8.15. It's 8 p.m. You need to be in your seat. All right. I know I'll be in the seats before you will. Place, New Era Field, Orchard Park, New York. The weather, undetermined. Shitty. We're still waiting to see whether or not there's going to be rain. That's going to be huge. Not only will it rain actual water, but... Based on the performance on the field, Drew's going to make it rain beer. <laughs> and the line and the line is arguable because coming into this, I was looking at oddshark.com. I always go off the Yahoo Sports app. I saw the Bills plus 14. And mine was 15. All right. So we're going to find a way to hammer this out, folks, so we can get on the same page. But I still like this. Nonetheless, la- it's I a two-score game. St- I still like the uh, last name of Michelle. What's, what does our coverage map look like, Chris? Oh, wait, everywhere. that's right. It's everywhere. Everywhere is going to get to see this. And who's the crew? Oh, that's right. Monday the, night. The Monday night football crew, Chris. Now, for those of you who maybe haven't watched a lot of Monday night football, I'm going to run you through it real quick. First of all, you've got Jason Witten in the booth. He's like the jock that tries out for a school play. And even though he has the emotional range of a dead moth, I would have gone with that he has the emotional range of Terry Schiavo. <laughs> Even though he's he's got no real presence, he still gets a starring role because he's popular and he tries hard. He's also a chronic waffler. I mean, he refuses to say anything that might hurt someone's feelings or be controversial. That's because he's at ESPN. And he, he does his job with all of the conviction and intelligent insight of an afternoon caller to WGR 550. I mean, blah. 
That's what that, that's what Jason Witten gets from me. But even worse than that, you've got Joe Tessator. I like Tess. Tess is good. You suck, and so does he. He carries the crew. He carries the crew. That's not saying much. He's surrounded by shitbags. Yeah. Joe Tessator has a history. I will will give this up. Joe Tessator has a history of fantastic calls for NCAA football games. You can go Google it. You can look it up on YouTube. You will see some highlight plays and some fantastic calls. But is it a... Is it pretending it's a pro football? <sighs> I mean, does it... For those of you who might remember, his his previous claim to fame was commentating on boxing. So now it's NFL fans who are slowly being jabbed into unconsciousness by him. He's a fucking bum. He's not Chris Collinsworth, Chris. I'll give you that. That guy is... I, I mean, it's like... He is the Highlander in terms of subpar, uninteresting broadcasts. There can be only one at a time. So Chris Collinsworth holds the title. But to watch the games when Tessator is calling them, I mean, everyone talks about it in the industry, the quote-unquote Tess effect, where when Tessator is in the booth, something exciting is going to happen. Chris, I, (laughs) I haven't seen it. He's the worst thing to happen. I mean, I guess I can't call it the worst thing because Dennis Miller was a thing. <laughs> I mean, they, Dennis that Miller happened, was like, a thing. for one season. If it wasn't for Dennis Miller, I'd be able to call Joe Tessitore one of the worst things to happen in Monday Night Football because he can't hold Mike Tirico's jockstrap. Even you have to be able to agree with me on that. No, Tessitore, I love Tessitore uh, on the calls. You would. He's got a stupid face and dumb hair, just like you do. I mean, my hair's. And again, my hair is the per- shit. Oh, you have the fucking people skills of a hornet. And then you've got Booger McFarland. Oh, this guy. He this sucks. Is, this is hilarious. No, no, he doesn't suck, but his inclusion is the hilarious che- just cherry on top of the shit Sunday that is the Monday Night Football crew. This fucking crane. I don't care about his takes, okay? He's actually more informational than Jason Witten. In my opinion, he should be in the booth, not Witten. Instead, ESPN was like, well, we already hired this pretty boy. So let's bring in a dude who might say some interesting shit, but we can't put him in the booth. What are we going to do with him? Yeah, he doesn't fit in the booth. Oh, no, I know. I know exactly what we should do. We should build the bastard child of a lifeguard chair in a fucking crane. And then let's hang Booger McFarland from it and ride him up and down an NFL sideline so that he can provide insight and commentary. Are you fucking high? Who thought of this? You should be shot in the leg and forced to walk home from work. Chris, Chris, you you showed me the video. Oh, yeah, I retweeted a, a video of some fan yelling at Booger McFarland uh, Monday from uh, the Giants and Falcons game. Because he, he had seats right behind his stupid crane. This guy rolls up and down the sideline with a chair suspended from a crane so that he can better see the action and provide insight. And the people who suffer for it are the people who paid two to $300 a ticket to sit in the front two rows right, right there, a 40 to 50-yard line. Yeah. There... ESPN's answer for it was to attach a TV screen to the back of the fucking chair so that the people who were sitting in their seats could watch the snap on TV. Are you fucking kidding me? 
now, I, now just thinking about the game on Monday, this actually, like, I don't think it bothers me as much as it did, like, 20 minutes ago because I think we were so bad. How many people put those their tickets on the secondary market? So this could be Pats fans sitting behind Booger in which – I can I can get behind that. I, I have no idea. I'm just waiting for some drunken fan base to turn this guy into a fucking pinata up there. Just throwing garbage at him. Just fu- Boo, Booger McFarlane. Why are you blocking the view that I paid $300 to see? And who the fuck in the NFL greenlit this idea? If we You're all, you, you should all be hitting the face with a shovel for even considering this is a viable option. You want people to show up to the stadiums on Sundays. You've been bitching about how the game day experience, we need more gate revenue. We need to get people to show up. You know what's a non-starter? How about you have the most expensive seats in the house blocked by some guy on a fucking crane? There's an idea for you. Don't do that. If we sat over there, I would not put it past you to be in the stadium. You go buy a beer, take one sip, and then hurl it at that television booker. It's 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 a it's obnoxious, and I can't wait for it to come to an end. And I just hope that the city of Buffalo doesn't do anything embarrassing to bring. <laughs> I hope that that it ends in catastrophe, just not here in Buffalo, because we already look like idiots. <laughs> Moving on, the injury report, as we always provide. Trent Murphy is already ruled out with a knee injury. Josh Allen is ruled out. Chris Ivory with an ankle injury is questionable. Taiwan Jones is questionable with a neck injury. And LaShawn McCoy is questionable with a neck injury. Chris, he's in the concussion protocol. Yep. We literally have one healthy running back on the roster right now. And, I and it's your favorite. But I haven't seen, I have not seen a move to obtain another running back. They didn't promote anyone from the practice squad. Do we even have a running back on the practice squad? We might not. So with that in mind, I have a, I have a suspicion that they believe LaShawn McCoy will be healthy. If they didn't, I could see that. they would make a move. I mean, if you have this many players that are questionable and truly not able to play. Yeah, three of your four running backs are you would up make on the a injury move. report. So for fans out there who might be fretting, I don't know. I, I don't know what to tell you, but I wouldn't worry about it. There's going to be at least Ivory or McCoy, one of them is going to be available. For New England, things are, uh, things are a little bit murkier. You got Sony Michelle, knee injury. He's already ruled out. Marcus Cannon with right tackle. Concussion, questionable. Geno Grissom, defensive lineman, ankle injury. He's questionable. Started, starting defensive back Eric Rowe, questionable with a groin injury. So for a D-back who has to cut, that's not good. John Simon, linebacker, shoulder injury. He's questionable. And a special teams tight end, Jacob Hollister. He's also ended up on the report as questionable. And Gronk, tight end, ankle, questionable. Gronk has made the list. And that's I mean, that's a huge blow to them. Not just Michelle, who was just starting to really pace their offense, but Gronkowski being, again, back in ankle injuries. That's tough. So, folks, heading into this, I want to start this discussion for Monday Night Football off before we really get into game discussion. Let's talk about the pregame. This is where I do my best work. Before sunup on Sundays, my tailgates are the shit. Everybody has fun. Everybody drinks more than their fill. 
and there's food to feed an army. I think I tailgate like a professional. That being said, I, I think I've put together a guide in my head for everybody who wants to tailgate for a primetime football game. Because primetime is an art form. You know, Sundays, the, the, that's amateur hour. Anybody can show up with a you know, cooler of beer and a pop-up tent and call it a tailgate. But to do it for primetime football, Chris, that takes skill. Well, there's going to be a lot more. I think Monday will have a lot more drunk idiots at the stadium. And oh, I, absolutely. I, I told you this before we started recording because, because we're playing on Monday night, you know, Sunday morning to get up and tailgate. Some people were just out Saturday night on Chippewa, Allen, Elmwood, partying till 2, 3 o'clock in the morning, and then they don't get to tailgating until 9, 10 o'clock in the morning, and you only have a couple of hours, and you're also fighting a hangover. People are calling off work. For, I, I'm off Tuesday for this to, for, in preparation for what I'm going to – I'm going to have to drink a whole bottle of wild turkey to stomach <laughs> Derek Anderson as our quarterback. So, folks, that's a good play. That's a good jumping off point for all of this. Tailgating for a primetime football game. First and foremost, this isn't your average Sunday. Just the dynamic of the shift of time. That's something nobody takes into account. When you're tailgating at, you know, when Chris and I, uh, Chris, what time do we usually leave my house? About 6.15? Yeah, I, I have my alarm set for 5.30. Yeah, so we leave my house by about 6, 6.15. We get to the field before 7. We have we have the tent up, coolers out, everything by, by 7 o'clock. The sun is not up, and we kind of start sipping a beer. You know, you're just woken up. You're trying to get your feet under your bearings. That is the average tailgate experience for someone who shows up as early as I do. Now... Flip that forward five hours. When you're tailgating for a primetime game, you've had time to wake up in the morning, brush your teeth, take a shower, go to work, eat food, get pissed off at the fact that you had to go to work for a half day, fight with your wife, be angry at the fact that your kids are throwing up all over the house or that uh, your wife's screaming at you for some nonsense. It's not really your fault. And then you get in the car and you go to the, go to the tailgate spot. And you get there at about 2 o'clock in the afternoon. You now have six hours to drink. It's the same time frame, but the dynamic has changed. You know, I, I, it's like I told Chris off air. You get there early in the morning. I don't know anybody who can get out of the truck at 7 in the morning and just down three beers in the first 45 minutes they're out of the vehicle. I fully expect that from some of my friends on Monday. I fully expect that that's going to be the dynamic. So you have to remember that there's a time shift here and that this is a marathon, not a race. Second of all, food, if you're doing food for a primetime football game, it has to be better than what you normally do on a Sunday. On a Sunday, people are more, it's the morning. People are more focused on breakfast food. Generally speaking, breakfast and lunch. When you're talking about a primetime football game, the, the object of food at a tailgate is to soak up the alcohol that you've been drinking while you've been partying with your friends. I swear to God, if you make ribs... I'm bringing pulled pork specifically so you don't have to eat ribs, Chris. God. You fucking cry, baby. All right, I'll bring wing dip. We're doing a monster barbecue spread. Monster barbecue spread. It's going to be incredible. That's the point. You have to bring something better than what you bring on a normal Sunday because this is dinner. 
This is lunch dinner, not breakfast lunch. Breakfast lunch, you can get away with anything. I, there's sun, there's Saturdays when I don't. There's Saturdays that I walk around. I'm not doing anything, and I just don't eat breakfast, and I go about my day, or I grab a granola bar, and I don't eat lunch, and I don't eat again until dinner time, and that's fine for me. But dinner, dinner is one of the most basic meals in any human's diet. Oh yeah, like when you what what did you do as a child? I think you told me this as a child one that when you were a child, your mom gave you spaghetti, and then you just flipped the plate of spaghetti. It was on. manicotti. Okay, I see. refused to eat it, and they made me eat it for breakfast, and that's why I finished, I cleared my plate every night. <laughs> I know where you're going with this. That being said, dinner is the most important meal of the day, so you're actually putting the most important meal of the day in the middle of your tailgate, which means your food had better be on point because there's going to be a lot of drunk people trying to sober up or at least trying to enjoy a solid meal before they go into a football game that could or could not be a miserable experience. Guys, make sure you follow these rules, please. And also, when you're in the stadium, there's going to be away fans. Primetime football brings that. You think that you've seen away fans for, I was there for the Cowboys game. I saw away fans coming out of the woodwork. And guess what? Fist fights everywhere. Can we all just be civil about this? There are going to be away fans. Prepare yourself for it and don't turn into an asshole. Yeah. When you see them, when they might drink too much because it's the one game a year they go to because they're out of town fans. And it's the cheapest ticket for them. If they're being an asshole, walk away. Yeah. Live to fight another day. You already know that you're better than them. <laughs> because you live here in Buffalo, the greatest city in the world. And with that, folks, to help us kind of break into this conversation about our upcoming game on Monday Night Football, we have, once again, our usual guest when it comes to the New England Patriots. People call it the Boston accent. It's not an accent. It's a whole city of people saying most words wrong. Dante Scarnecchia is a fantastic offensive line coach. We all know that. But, I mean, he's working miracles with that kid. Welcome to the Rockpile Report, Mr. Christian Simonelli. How are you doing tonight? Gentlemen, I'm excellent. Thank you. How are you? <laughs> Not too bad. Well, I mean, it's as good as, as can be. as good as can be expected. Mr. Simonelli, it's been a while since we talked with you. How are you doing? Pretty good. Pretty good. Uh, starting to pick up some steam here, and as uh, the Patriots are on the offensive side of the ball, starting to find a groove. And uh, early in the season, though, it wasn't that way. We were a little bit uh, frustrated around these parts, but seemed to have righted the ship on the offensive side of the ball at least. Oh my God! I can I can only imagine. I mean, you talk about the Patriots. I mean, first and foremost, let's start this conversation before we even get into the stuff about the you know, the team. I want to talk to you about the fan base. I mean, you are you're plugged into a lot of the New England area media. You listen to a lot of radio. You participate in a lot of online discussion. When the team, and I mean, this is just for my own sake because I want since I know how bad things are here. I at least want to know what it was like up there. When the team started off at one and two, I mean, and, and if we're ta- if we're real here, if the Houston Texans weren't such a toothless offense, it, that game could have been. Oh, you could you guys could be zero and three to start the, just to start the year. 
everybody else, every other fan base, especially every other fan base of a team in the AFC, was, you know, clapping their hands, you know, licking their chops, thinking, okay, this could finally be the year. This could be the end of the Brady era. God knows I was there, you know? <laughs> and once again, you freaking Kaiser sows at everybody, okay? And now you're <laughs> five and two, and everything sucks. <laughs> everything sucks. There's, there's, there's very few things right with the world. Was there any panic among your own fan base? I would say panic. It was more frustration because we sort of knew what they had. And, you know, Gronk, uh, James White, Edelman would be back by week four. I think maybe the panic was probably the wide receiver position and that Philip Dorsett and Chris Hogan being a number one or a number two option really didn't look all that well. Um, also kind of had Sony Michelle in the back pocket, figured he'd get going. And so we kind of knew it was there, but I think it was just more frustration than anything. Um, Tom didn't visibly look, you know, his age. He still looked like Tom. It was just a matter of them just sort of gelling. And they usually start slow anyways. I mean, they usually don't come out guns ablaze, and they usually, it's, you know, around here, it's always, all right, you know, they ramp it up after Thanksgiving. So now's about the time before Thanksgiving where you start to see what they're really going to look like. Yeah, they've always had a rough September, at least the last couple of years, either going, you know, two and two or one and two. I'm, I'm not going to fall yep. for this anymore. All right, Simonelli, <laughs> you as my witness, I'm done falling for this shit. The next time, I, I, and I say this knowing that I'm going to make a liar out of myself next season. When the Patriots start off, two and four, and everyone says, oh, it's the end. I, I'm done by, but I'm going to say that I'm done buying into this. And, and I mean, in, in all honesty, I think that a lot of things really came together for you, and most of it is on the offensive side of the ball. I mean, when, when I look at that, you guys got off to a slow start, and your offense had no balance. I mean, you just touched on it. Hogan is a number two wide receiver in the NFL. That's not his role. That's not his bread and butter. He's not built to be that type of a player. You guys were averaging, and I think this was the big thing. When Brady's been at his best, his most productive, it's with a balanced attack. Through those first three games, you guys were averaging 97 yards on the ground and 19 points a game. That equates to a team that is beatable. I mean, especially when you have what you have on defense, which we're going to talk about here in a second, but you you make the trade for Josh Gordon, which honestly, I, I threw my, I, I was at work. I'm at work, I'm at my desk, and I see this, and I literally grabbed a stack of papers and threw them into the air. So what, what, what is going on around here? Has, ever, did, has anybody learned anything about trading with Bill Belichick? I mean, what was the reaction <laughs> from the Patriots fan base when you guys made that trade? We were all calling for it. Most of us wanted uh, a stud-wide receiver and knew that Pretty much, um, you know, once the word started coming out of Cleveland that he was going to be moved, that it was either going to be him or a lot of people who are around here um, were trying to find an alternative, whether it would be Des Bryant or even like trying to work some crazy trade with the Lions to get Marvin Jones. But we were all pretty excited, of course, with the caveat there being his off the field issues. You know, um, that was the big unknown. Um, obviously, Cleveland had reached their end. And, um, you know, just felt like they just they couldn't do it with him anymore and they weren't going to get anything more out of him. So um, as Bill Belichick 
has done many times before. Um, he just went in and got a guy. And that's one thing about Belichick that, you know, uh, I admire more than anything. He really has no fear to really do anything or make any move. Um, he'll do it. Uh, the reports this offseason that they were talking about, you know, trading Gronk to the Lions. And, you know, I think Gronk found out and was in the office the next day saying, you know, if you trade me, I'll retire. I don't want to play with Brady. And that put the end to that. So pretty, pretty much Belichick would do anything to improve the team. So, um, yeah, we were real excited when we got him. Well, to say that you guys improved since that point of the season is a friggin' understatement. I mean, you guys moved from 97 yards on the ground to 19 points a game. Now you're averaging 138 and 39 and a quarter over the next four wins. I mean, what the fuck? I just want to scream into a pillow when I look at this stuff because it never ends. It's it's absolute horseshit. I hate it. I, I, I like you, Simonelli, which makes it hard for me to rant as, as much as I'd like to about this. But so I got to ask about the mechanics of this. You see that we saw the flip, the switch get flipped against the Miami Dolphins. You know, trust me, we're, Vero Delfino, a friend of ours who has a fourth and inches podcast, which is just nonsense, but we love him. Diehard Dolphins fans. A lot of these people that I'm friends with who are Dolphins fans, just crowing about how the division's ours now. This is it. This is the year that we plant our flag in the ground and prove that we're the supreme team in the in the division. And you guys just ran through them like a hot wind. Like, oh, God. That game wasn't even close. You demolished them. Nope. And then proceeded. And yep. then that, that was the game your offense came alive. So I have to ask. Was it the addition of Edelman, the reintroduction of Edelman back into the lineup, or the resurgence of Sony Michelle? I mean, he had a rough couple weeks as he was trying to work his way back from that knee, and then he exploded, which helped out a lot of fantasy teams, I'm sure, out there. So people have taken notice. Out of those two things, which one do you think did more to help out the Patriots' offense? Um, uh, at first, you right away you'd see that and you'd say Edelman, but I actually think it's been Michelle. Um, I think he's given them a little bit more of a dimension at the running back position that they've had in recent years, a true running back, not uh, a pass-catching back, which, which is what James White is. But, um, yeah, he certainly struggled against Jacksonville and against Miami, but then, excuse me, and then against the Lions, but then he really did start to pick it up, um, you know, in the subsequent weeks, and he's been he's been really good, so I think he's given them a little bit of an extra push there. And you mentioned Hogan earlier being the number one and number two. Um, much better in the three-slash-four, number three-slash-four wide receiver role. Um, that's where he fits. Uh, this past week he had six catches, which is the most catches he had in the game uh, to this point this year. And um, he's much better going up against third and fourth corners than he is against um, one and two corners, that's for sure. Oh, I can only imagine. I mean, and I don't know if you've heard this, yeah. but he also used to play lacrosse. Oh, I had never heard that before, actually. First time, and please, God, I hope they don't mention it 157 times on Monday night. But you know they will. Oh, they absolutely will. It's it's absurd. Yep. So just taking a look at you guys schematically through the first, you know, almost what is now, we're almost at the halfway point of the season. Looking at what the Patriots were doing early on to what they've been doing now, is it fair to say that you guys have leaned because of the emergence of Sony Michelle? It's allowed you guys to become more of a, I don't want to say run first offense. You're never going to be a run first offense as long as you know, Tom Brady's your quarterback. 
But with that nope. said, I feel like there's been a, more of a, an insistence on the running attack than you saw during the early portion of the season. Now that the as Bilicek learned, hey, I can lean on Sony Michelle. I mean, am I am I right in what I'm seeing there? Uh, yeah, I mean, I you know Brady just this past week said that defenses have been playing them very conservatively, that they haven't blitzed them a lot, and they got to learn mm-hmm. to take advantage of that. And I think part of playing conservatively and keeping seven, eight guys, you know, back in pass coverage, um, just to you know to cover all the passing options has opened up the run game. But the other thing that that they that they've started to do. Um, which is typical Patriot football, is get out to early leads and build, and build big leads. Um, against Houston, they had a, like a 10-point lead. Against Jacksonville and, and, um, and, and against Detroit, you know, they were down at the half in both those games by, by uh, 10 and 14 points, respectively. And then against Miami, Indy, KC, and Chicago, they had leads, uh, all big, pretty, pretty substantial leads at the half in all those games, um, with the exception of the past week where they were up 21-17 against the Bears. So, um, they're playing Patriot football. They're getting out to, the, to early big leads. They're forcing the other team to become one-dimensional. And when you can force the other team to become the one-dimensional on offense, you can you know, on their offensive side of the ball, you can do a whole lot more on your offensive side of the ball. And <laughs> that's what they've been doing. You can absolutely do a whole lot more on the offensive side of the ball if you're yep. talking about the Buffalo Bills. <laughs> So, during our AFC East roundup portion of the show, we touched on the fact that the Patriots aren't the healthiest right now on offense. And, I mean, obviously, the, as we're talking about him here, I think the latest blow to the team is this loss of Sony Michelle. Now, it's not a long-term injury, but it's definitely going to keep him out this week. I mean, it's a knee injury, no structural damage, but he's week to week. He's not going to play. Mm-hmm. Yep. So, with yep. that, you're losing that power run game dimension. I mean... I'm a huge SEC fan. I watched Sony Michelle play a ton of football. He is a one-cut, turn-and-get-up-field kind of guy. You know, he, he can he has some wiggle to him, but ultimately he's the type of running back that he doesn't like to dance around and he doesn't try to stretch plays out. He likes to bury his helmet and get upfield. Without him there, you guys have some real questions because, first of all, you have his injury. Then you've got Gronkowski, okay, and your friend Marcus Cannon. You know, you love that guy. Yep. He's, he's one of your oh, favorites. Oh, yeah, my buddy. He's one of your favorites. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so, but with these injuries developing on the offensive side of the ball. Now, when you look at Sunday, obviously, I you know, you look at the scoreboard and say, well, nothing changed. Well, nothing changed except for the fact that 14 of the points that you guys scored came on special teams scoring. You know, you had a kickoff return for a touchdown. You had a blocked punt for a yep. touchdown. When you take that and you take those points away and you kind of average everything else out, there was a lot of things about your offensive performance that were pretty, I don't, I don't want to call them pedestrian because who am I to say that? I'm a fan of the team I am. <laughs> but there was some pretty pedestrian numbers there. So without, you know, first and foremost, what is the worry on Gronk? What's the injury situation like with him going into Monday night? Um. The thought right now is that he, he should be able to go, but he's had back spasms. Belichick said that, um, you know, they really didn't know he was going to be, uh, unavailable to them until really Sunday morning. And the spasms just acted up again. But to be honest with you, he hasn't really looked right all year. Um, he just hasn't looked like Gronk. He's also had an issue with an ankle as well. Um, 
I think if there's a guy on the team that's starting to show his age and sort of the wear and tear and the injuries, it's Ben Gronk. Now, part of that is I think the way they sort of managed him the first couple of games of the year, and I think that they going forward they always try to, uh, based on the injury, uh, past injury history, that they'll try to manage him um, you know, throughout the season and ramp it up towards the end of the season and make sure that he's there for the playoffs. But um, looks like he's going to play Monday night. I'm not sure how much they'll, they're really going to push it, though. No offense, um, considering who the opponent is. <laughs> I, 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 I expect. <laughs> oh, you elitist son of a bitch. I expect. Uh, Sorry. <laughs> active or inactive, I expect Gronk to make the trip. Because even if he doesn't uh, play, you know, I'm sure that. With brick, his family here and everything else, they wouldn't leave him home. And the so fact he, that they need a sure. bouncer at a brick bar. <laughs> <laughs> Either way, he's definitely going to make the trip. But I, I, I tend to lean towards your uh, your feeling here, knowing how long an NFL season is, and knowing what a dynamic weapon he is when he's healthy. If you're going into a game that you think you should win, it wouldn't make sense to throw away. Because think about it: if you have a back problem and an ankle problem, contact is going to aggravate that back injury. And guess what? You can't avoid if you have a bum ankle. Contact. <laughs> Especially yep. Yep. with a group of safeties. And let's not forget, for as much as people, you know, I, I'm surprised that more hasn't been made out of this. The last thing you would probably want to do is put a gimpy Gronkowski, who might not be as fast, might not be as agile, might not be able to avoid contact as easily, to put him out there in the middle of a game against a team where there might still be a grudge there. There might still be some ill will. You know what I'm saying? Like, if I was looking to take a liberty sure. or two as a safety, I don't know. When the guy's already <laughs> he's gimpy and can't get out of the way, that might be the time to come back for him. If you know you're going to be a playoff contender, you, I don't think you can risk a guy like Gronk knowing what he can do for your offense. Now, on the Michelle side of things, obviously his, his uptick in production really coincided with your offense taking off. What do you? What have you seen out of your running back? Running back stable this year. I mean, you guys brought in Kenyon Barner, but mm -hmm. I mean, with uh, what's his name, Lewis? There is that it? Uh, for the running back, James yes. White. Are you James White. That's who position? I'm talking. I'm talking about James yep. White. I don't know why yep. I, I keep Deion Lewis left and he hasn't done anything. Deion Lewis left. Yep. Yeah, and he sucked. Yep. So with James yep. White, obviously a pass catching threat. I mean, last week he had two touchdowns in the red zone, especially he's a threat because he's a hard target for linebackers to cover. He just is. I mean, that's, that's NFL football and that's the current, you know, modern NFL football. Just because he's a smaller back doesn't mean, I mean, guys can't come downhill and just level them the way they probably would have back in the early 90s. So running backs like him are really useful in the red zone. You see, you've watched Atlanta do it. You know, Atlanta, you threw to its running backs, Tevin Coleman and uh, Deonta, uh, what is it? Uh, Deonta Freeman. Deonta Freeman, Freeman. All right. of the time. Yep. So now yep. you guys use you know, James White in that role constantly. He had two touchdowns last week. But on an every mm -hmm. down basis, how do you foresee them kind of trying to make up for the lack of Michelle's production? Well, it's strictly a numbers game right now, and they don't have a lot of numbers. Um, if you want to talk about one position that's been snake-bitten by injury this year, it's been the running backs. Um, Burkhead on IR, Jeremy Hill on IR, um, Sony Michelle in and out of the lineup with injury. So you're left with James White, who's really the only guy that's been there for every game, 
and you mentioned Ken John Bonner, um, and then a fullback, James Devlin. <laughs> that's it. I mean, that's it. The cupboard is bare. Um, they got a guy named Webb on the practice squad. I'm not sure he may get the call up this week because they are so thin, but um, I expect them to pretty much, you know, spread everybody out and, um, you know, just sort of we call around here the spread them and shred them. Go three, four wides uh, and just, you know, those, as we know, those short passes, like you just mentioned to White, are really part of their running game. So I think until Michelle gets back, that's what you're probably going to see. Now, around here with running backs, from Ben Jarvis, Green Ellis, to Danny Woodhead, they've always had a guy that can come in there and just get yards. So it wouldn't surprise me if Ken John Bonner racked up like 60 or 70 yards this week rushing. Um, <laughs> you know, with me saying it all, with me saying it all, I just said, um, you know, uh, but yeah, I mean, for right now, it's very, very thin at that position. Now, for a team that has scored more than 30 points in almost every single one of its games recently, if there's any one place you could tell me that you guys are struggling to find consistency, what would it be? I mean, I'm taking a look just now. If I'm, if I'm looking at this, I'm seeing turnovers, and I'm noticing the fact that your team hasn't gone a single game this season without turning the ball over. Yeah, that's the one area. Um turnovers that really sort of kept these games uh, recently a little bit closer than they should have been, whether it be the, um, you know, the fumble by Brady a couple of weeks ago uh, or be, be the interception that Brady threw that sort of just bounced right off of James Devlin and just, you know, hung in the air and he picked the ball off, uh, Chicago picked the ball off there. So, yeah, turnovers. Um, and Belichick actually mentioned that this week. Um, you know, she would like to go a game and I'll turn the ball over this year because they haven't. So turnovers would definitely be an area where they can uh, be a little bit more consistent. I mean, because that's one of the things that our defense, when we win games, <laughs> two games we've won, Chris, <laughs> what's been the consistent theme? Uh, scoring more points than our opponent. <laughs> what a dick. My, my, my wonderful producer, folks, it's been turnovers. It's been when the defense can force a turnover or two because our secondary is opportunistic. And it's hard for teams to, you know, a lot of teams have avoided our safeties completely. You know, for the most part, our safeties haven't been targeted in the passing game. Because people saw last year, you know, they kind of looked at it and said, okay, we have no idea what this tandem is. There are a couple guys who, one was a former cornerback slash safety, and the other one was a seventh-round pick that didn't get picked up by the Browns. So how good could he be? And it turns out they were one of the better safety tandems in the AFC. So with that, you're talking about a group of guys who didn't haven't this season. Teams have opted instead to just dink and dunk us to death, which is compounded by the fact that we have two rookie, you know, essentially a rookie linebacker and a second year linebacker who didn't play all of last season or at least didn't get starts. So what I'm looking at here is turnovers in terms of our defense against your offense, and then just in our defense in general. If there's a chink in the armor of this year's Patriots, it's been your defense. I mean, that's that's one thing I want to talk about. You mentioned it in August when we had you on our podcast talking about how, you know, the post-draft, you know, how training camp was going. You said that you were terrified about the state of your defense because a lot of the problems that you had in 2017 didn't seem to really get resolved heading into this season. So... Taking a look at this, I'm not shocked to see that the the Patriots are somehow, for Bills fans who are screaming into the wind about, oh, our defense is shit, and this is supposed to be our coach's specialty. 
The Patriots are ranked five points lower in scoring defense. Five places, mind you. In scoring mm-hmm. defense at 24th in the NFL. They're 25th in yards allowed and passing yards allowed. And you guys are second to last in the NFL in sacks. So last year, it was injuries. Last year, injuries kind of, I mean, your linebacker core was decimated with injuries. You had Rivers go out in training camp, who was a third-round pick, but he was expected to come in and contribute. And obviously, Donta Hightower, he's right now the heart and soul. You know, without Gerard Mayo, he was, you know, him and Gerard Mayo were 1A and, you know, 1A and 1B for your defense. Mm-hmm. Now they're back, and yet your defense is still hemorrhaging yardage and points. I mean, when we look back at it, yes, your team has scored a ton of points over the last four wins, but you're looking at a Chiefs team. Okay, the Chiefs can score, but the Chiefs put up 40. The Colts put up 24. The Bears put up 31. People move now, now is this just dynamic offenses, or is this are there real problems here with the defense? Oh, there's real problems. Um, real problems. <laughs> uh, Kansas City is the only dynamic offense that um, that I was really, you know, okay, you know, it's Kansas City. Um, the fact that Indianapolis came in here on a Thursday night with Andrew Luck throwing to me, you, Chris, uh, the coaches, um, <laughs> I- I remember watching that game and going, who the hell is, I remember watching that game and going, who the hell is Chester Rogers? That guy sounds like he should be working. It sounds like Chester Rogers. That's the kind of guy I expect to be building birdhouses out of his garage, not out trying to catch passes in the NFL. Oh, and Eric, Eric, uh, Eric Ebron, uh, you know, looked like the second coming of uh, Grunk. I mean, <laughs> he had over 100 yards receiving. It was, it was like, you know, what are we, what, you know, what's going on here? So around here, of course, Belichick can't do any wrong. So the narrative was, well, it was a short week, and they really had the lead at the half, and it was just they let down the second half. And then the next week against Kansas City, it was, well, it's Kansas City, even though you had 10 days to prepare for them. Then last week against the Bears, it was. Well, they had a big lead and they gave it up, but, you know, it was the Bears. Um, no, this defense sucks. They blow. <laughs> they're awful. Okay? And they're giving uh, basically no hope whatsoever that they can stop a team from scoring 25, 30 points at a minimum every game. Um, they can't do anything well. Okay? Nothing. And the biggest issues last year – has been exacerbated this year with the depth of the linebacker position and no pass rush. Zero. Nothing. Um, and overall team speed is very, very bad. They don't have fast players. And it's basically just showing the past couple of weeks. Teams have been running all around them. Um, whether it be Tyreek Hill literally catching the ball in the air, landing, and then having to starting to run and sprint and still blew by Duran Harmon by like 30 yards. <laughs> oh, no. Was the, it, it was, you, I've never seen a play like it in my life. And I've been watching football a very long time. I never saw a guy in the middle of the field jump to catch a pass in the middle of a defense, land, and then run, and still score 70 yards later. Um, they're just playing awful right now. And I don't know how much better it's going to get um, because they just don't have the talent. Well, the good news for you is that this week you play Buffalo. 
<laughs> see, see, see how that whole the thing about me talking about the worst statistical offense ever to be put on paper. So off air, before we started recording, we talked about Mike Rodak and his recent article that I mentioned earlier about how the Bills might be the worst offense in the modern era of football. If there's any remedy for defensive problems, it's that offense. That being said, that being said, I, I mean, do you think that the injuries and just the lack of execution on your defense are going to help? I mean, is this something that might be able to keep the Bills in this game, or are you confident that this isn't even going to be close? I'm ultimately confident because the Bills are so bad. Um, I mean, you guys <laughs> what score average what, like 11, 12 points a game? The Yahoo ha- the Yahoo what? Sports app has a 15-point spread. Ugh. Oh, okay. So, I mean, I... You know, as bad as the defense has played and the fact that they are on the road, um, I do feel pretty good because Buffalo has just been bad. (laughs) (laughs) But everything I said about the defense is still true, by the way. And I will lose all hope for the entire season if Buffalo hangs more than 14 points on them this week. I'm going to hold you to this. I just don't see it. Oh, I'm going to hold you to this. And and if, if by the grace of God... Somehow. See, now, I was here. Is this going to be a Seagram's bet? I was at the game. Sure, why not? I was, oh, my God, my man. 14 points, there we now, go. Now, here's the thing. I was at the game in 2011. I was there. I was in the stadium. It was hot. My ex-girlfriend was being an absolute B. I, I, <laughs> B is for bitch, for those that didn't know. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I mean, literally at one point, she walked up to me. I was waiting in line to get her a pretzel because the Bills were already losing 14 nothing, And I was like, fine, I'll get you a pretzel to shut you up just to give you something to keep you quiet because you're drunk and you're out of control and I hate you. Ugh. <laughs> and she came and found me in line to tell me that the game was boring and that the Bills stunk and that all of this was stupid and that and, and I just I turned around and I looked at the girl wow. next to me and I'm just like, Are you single? Is it is it, what, what what's your name? <laughs> so I was there that day and I watched the Bills with Ryan Fitzpatrick and David Nelson and some guy named uh, what what uh who was the guy who used to do radio with uh John Murphy? Donald Jones. Donald Jones, those were our Donald wide receivers. Jones. And we somehow engineered a comeback to beat the Patriots. The stadium was anarchy. It was anarchy. I people were crying. There was a guy next to me, literally on the phone with his father, just crying. This is week four. It's something <laughs> different when you play the Patriots. There's there's a real hate there. Because you just think about, it's like every time you win, it's the release from all of the losses that have piled up. Okay? So if we find a way to pull this off, Seagram's bet. You're willing to bet points. spread that you guys are going to cover. Because you said you don't even think we'll hang 14 on you. Yep. All right, then. You guys heard it here first. We have a bet. A first, our first Seagram's bet with a Patriots fan. This should be fantastic. I'm sure this is going to blow up in my face like most of my bets do. God. Uh, Simonelli, thanks for joining us. Why don't you tell everyone where they can find you on Twitter? Guys, if you like unbiased Patriots fandom, and he's a Patriots fan, but we give him a pass because at least he's not overly biased. 
give them a follow. Where can the folks follow you? Can follow me at Chris with a T I A N on Twitter, and uh, give me a follow. I'll give you a follow back, and um, you know, can always have an entertaining exchange, whether it not just be on the Patriots, but really anything <laughs> NFL. <laughs> Christian, thank you so much for joining us tonight. We appreciate it. As always, you can follow Christian on Twitter, Chris with a T I A N. Always good to talk to Christian about the Patriots because he is level-headed. And he is, at least since we've been doing the show, he knows that Brady's time is coming. And I hope someone takes out his knees on Monday. <laughs> of course uh, you would hope that. Oh, you know you're just bringing back more ill will towards the Bills. Folks, once again, please tune in. It's going to be a lot of fun. Friday. Friday, 7.45 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Nate Geary from WGR 550. Ty and the Maniac from Trainwreck Sports. And yours truly, and I guess this idiot with terrible hair over here. <laughs> Lawless and today. And his stupid headshot, which if you haven't seen it, don't forget to go check it out on our Twitter page. It's going to be the pinned tweet. <laughs> we are going to be live at O'Neill's Stadium in 7.45 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Vontae Davis, if, Chicken Wing Challenge. If you are out of town, make sure you tune in on Periscope and check it out. If you're in town, there's no excuse. Stop by, have a beer with us. It's going to be fun. Guys, we're going to be talking Monday Night Football, the 2018 season. You're going to watch me dominate some hot wings. Where else would you rather be than right there, right then? <laughs> exactly. And then Monday, what we're expecting to get to our tailgate spot, 5330 Big Tree Road at... Probably about 1, one thirty. So if you are in the area, you're going to the game, please come to the tailgate, stop by, and say hi. It's happened every home game so far. Australians, people from Massachusetts, we people have shown up at our tailgate. We love it that you guys come out and uh, hang out with us. And Just look for the Charge Buffalo flag. Del Reed's latest endeavor, the Charge Buffalo flag. We're going to have the link in the description if, in case you don't know what it looks like. Go check it out. It'll be hanging from the tent. That's how you'll find us. we got to get out of here. I'm Drew Gear. That's Chris Krueger. This has been the Rock Pile Report. Go Bills! Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you. With professional-grade industrial supplies, count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.